welcome to Creative Conversations. I'm Roger Humphrey. In this episode, I'm talking with award-winning photographer and filmmaker, Jane Rosemont. We've known each other for over 40 years and I have always enjoyed her company. And I think you will too. We join in progress. Well, I remember that you did ask me um, last year, but I was in the middle of shooting and had no, no brain matter to talk about it because I was in the middle of it. Uh, but, you know, um, I feel like I'm slightly more equipped to discuss it if you wish that. I don't, I don't even know, you know, what you want to know, but. It's, it's not that I want to know anything. I just, it's just the, the, the art of the conversation in general, mm -hmm. as opposed to the, um, uh, the, the thing that I'm trying to avoid is the typical, you know, how long have you been doing this? And, right. and what's your favorite color? And yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know. By the way, Roger, I love mashed potatoes. My favorite color is purple. <laughs> so purple mashed potatoes, we'll have to work on that a little bit. <laughs> but I would be interested in knowing, um, well, first off, uh, Pie Lady of Pie Town. I mean, that did a, that was a pretty nice, uh, uh, way to get into the business. I mean, you did a pretty good job there. And I did, I had no idea what I was doing. I really didn't. Um, you know, I wish I could make up a, 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 you know, great story about how it all came about. But basically I was in Pie Town and I, and I have never said the words, oh my God, I need to do a, a movie about this person. <laughs> but as a lover of film and especially documentary, I remember watching her, she's very charismatic and she, she was very energetic. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I mean, it just occurred to me. And, I, and then that was it. I asked her, she said, yes. On the way home from Pie Town, I wrote that stupid little song that's in the film called, I Want a Piece of Pie. <laughs> um, you know, and, and then there was two years of shooting. Um, I'm not saying it was all smooth, but with Kathy, it was certainly smooth. She had a story to tell. You know, and it's about mom, it, literally mom and apple pie. Yeah. Um, but it's also about rural New Mexico, the history, um, because it, it, it's called Pine Town because originally uh, people from the east were going west, and that was about when they got hungry. And back in the early part of the century, their idea of pie wasn't what we think of pie. They weren't getting banana cream pie, let me tell you. They were getting like kidney bean pie. They were getting savory, sustaining pies. Like a pasty or something. Uh. Well, and you know, but they made them in pie, in pie form. Um, and and it got its name because people would say, oh God, if you're hungry, you know, wait till you get, and, and they called it kiddingly, Pie Town. Um, and I don't know if you ever saw the film, um, but um, the guy, somebody, they wanted it to be called Pie Town and the post office said, no, you can't do that. They said, oh yes, we can. And eventually won. So it's still Pie Town, but now the pie lady is gone. She's retired. Oh my. As of literally the beginning of the pandemic was, they just had to give it up. Gotcha. Um, but you know, it was it was a great experience. Um, I didn't know what a DP meant, director of photography, the cinematographer. You know, I didn't I didn't know anything. Um, so I learned on the fly, and to me, it was all about the story, which I think is what made it as popular as it was. And it was Academy Award qualified. Um, wow. 
you know, I got to fill out Academy Award, you know, and I knew I wouldn't win or even be nominated, but still filling out the, you know, oh my God, you get the new, you get the papers from the Academy and it's like, oh, I didn't dot that I well enough. So, <laughs> you know, start all over. Um, That's you know, so um, that kind of blew me away. Um, especially, okay, so the film festival circuit was what propelled the film. And when, especially if Kathy joined me on the red carpet, that was magic because we were a comedy team. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a great, I'm not a great public speaker, but Kathy is good at it. And between the two of us, we just became, you know, uh, pretty silly. Um, so that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. So, so to, I have to, um, uh, I do have to confess that I have not seen the film and I've always wanted to. So how would I go about doing that? Or how, you know, how would somebody go about where do we find oh, it? Right now, there is no way unless I send you a DVD. Oh, my. So oh my. do you have a DVD player? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit out of luck, Roger. No, <laughs> seriously, what I could do, um, I'll send you a link. Um, I, it will be released at some point. I'm, I'm working with, my, with a co-producer uh, for, the, for the current film, and she's going to be working to get Pilady and my second film which was fictional, very short, um, you know, available for people to see. That's, that's, that's perfect. So when that's, that's available, let me know. And, yeah. uh, and so that's, that, that's cool. Yeah. It's distribution is a booger. Sometimes you get these things and, and uh, getting stuff out there where people can see it is hard. So. Yeah. And that's not, that wasn't my job, you know, and, and my co-producer at the time um, had other things to do and I just let it go because it didn't matter that much to me, which is kind of stupid. Uh, again, I'm ignorant about this stuff. You know, did my second one. That was interesting. It's a very personal film. I like it a lot. Um, the third one was called Shirts. That was even shorter. That's just four minutes of uh, silliness because that was a time when, you know, uh, politics were ugly. Um, uh, I had lost two brothers within a few months. My 20-year-old cat died. And it was like, ah! you know, what do I do? And so I just uh, did something very silly. So that was fun. And then, <clears throat> and then of course I told myself I'd never do another film. <laughs> and now I'm doing, you know, a feature length. So wow. you know, shoot this me is, next time. This is going to be feature length? Yeah. New one? So well, talk to me about that. Well, um, it's about, uh, it's a documentary about actor, Hollywood character actor, Jim Hoffmaster. Um, but I knew Jim back before he went to Hollywood. I knew Jim from Schuler Books. And he was also quite uh, an important character in the uh, community theater scene at the time. Um, and he, anyway, he worked at Schuler Books. I, we, we weren't that friendly, really, but we knew who we were. Um, and then he left for Hollywood, which made no difference to me. I didn't care. But and this was back before computers. So I went to, I was going to LA to visit friends and somebody said, well, you know, Jim Hoffmaster works at Barnes and Noble. And I thought, okay, you know, so I went and hi, hi, you know, and then that, that you know, kind of started the friendship. Um, so anytime I would go out there, we would meet for a meal and chit chat. I always found his backstory extremely compelling. You know, he was, his alcoholic mother gave him up just before he was one 
didn't want him. He's mentally retarded, as they said back then. Something's wrong with him. He can't walk. He can't talk. Um, he had a very loving first foster mother, but then they took him away from her and then put him in another, well, they put him in a few homes and no one wanted him. Uh, <clears throat> and then he ended up in a place where he was abused sexually and verbally. So he had a really, really tough time of it. Um, and of course he was, uh, you know, a perfectly mentally capable human being. In fact, he's pretty damn smart, but no one saw it. No one nurtured that. So he really suffered from, from those experiences, but then used acting to get through it because that was his way of expressing himself and being something that people were impressed with. Um, so anyway, I, I would always make him tell me these stories. And, uh, oh, and he was very supportive with Pie Lady. He would come out whenever it showed in Hollywood. You know, he met the Pie Lady and we would always have a good time. So, he, you know, I was impressed. It's not, you know, if you know LA, nobody wants to go anywhere. The traffic stinks. You know, nobody wants to drive, but he always made the effort. So anyway, uh, gosh, uh, two years ago next month, I was at a film festival and I was watching a film and I don't know what happened, but I thought, oh my God, I've got to, I've got to do Jim's story. And then again, kind of like with the pie lady, whatever that was, it just stuck. Um, and we talked about it for a couple months and I, I flew to LA to woo him and we, we brought him here for Christmas and spent Christmas with him. And uh, anyway, the rest is history. But I did think it was going to be a short doc. Let's talk about Jim's foster care experience. But then it was like, well, we can't talk about that without talking about how he, how he healed or if he healed from it. You know, what, what, what are our survival skills when we have a tough time. Right. And there are foster kids that have had far worse experiences than Jim. But on the other hand, I had a very happy childhood, was deeply loved, but I still have trauma, you know. So watching how he navigates it um, and how some things aren't successfully navigated and uh -huh. some are. So despite some of the very dark two or three or four things that come up. It's actually a joyous film um, about, Mark. you know, his spirit and his, his insistence on, on working towards success. And, you know, and he, ha he has had some success. He's on the show Shameless. You know, he's been on the show Shameless for 10 years and they're just going to start shooting their 11th season. Wow. So... You know, there's, so people think he's rich and famous. Well, no, <laughs> certainly not rich and famous is a relative term, you know. That, that seems to be, I, the people that I know that know, know little or nothing about the business of entertainment in general tend to think that, you know, it's, it's just, you know, if you have a little bit of success that suddenly, you know, you've got a, you, you, you've got a bank full of money and, you know, yeah. and it's like, no, it just kind of kind of worked. That you know, I'm excited that that gets addressed in a very active and fun way in the film. You know, speaking with other actors, um, including Wes Studi, Academy uh -huh. Award winning Wes Studi, um, <laughs> the the a story about that. First of all, Wes 
narrated Pi Lady of Pi Town. So, okay, cool. you know, I've already worked with him and plus he's a friend. So uh, a couple of years ago, um, Dick and I have a, a solstice party as opposed to a Christmas party because at okay. Christmas, everybody's with their family. And it's a very small group, in, including Wes and Maura. And Jim was here. And I warned Jim. I said, you know, they're guarded. You know, they don't, you know, I'm just trying to warn him that you don't go, you know, <laughs> which, of course he, which of course he wouldn't do because he's also an actor. He gets it. Uh, and him and Wes hit it off immediately. Oh, wonderful. You know? So that was great. And um, Maura suggested that, you know, Wes be in the film. So Wes and uh, Mike McGill and, and Josh and Carrie Brown all talk about what people think being in Hollywood means and what the reality actually is. You know? Oh, yeah. It's not what people think at all. And there's a very funny exchange between Wes and Jim about it. Um, but anyway, yeah. So we cover a, a, a lot of ground in this film. And the trick is to edit it so that it makes sense. So that it's a complete sentence. You know, so that yeah, so that you're not going, I don't, I don't know, wait a minute. We were talking about this, but now we're talking about this. So editing is tough. That's, you know, I found with this, um, uh, my, my original goal uh, with the podcast was to try to keep it to, to about 30, 35 minutes long. And, um, uh, and I, I, I found out through the course of the, 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 the first season that that wasn't going to happen, <laughs> but, but it also wasn't necessary either. I mean, uh, you know, there are very successful podcasts. I think Joe Rogan's doing like three hours per episode or something insane like that. Um, so, uh, but anyway, I did try to cut things down and, uh, uh, and I did find number one. I found that I enjoyed the editing process, but um, it's it's fun. But that's that's it's that's great to do because it's as vital as yeah. everything else. I mean, I, how you edit it is how your podcast is presented. That's where the that's where the rubber meets the road, right there. Right. And and so, um, uh, but uh, I, and I don't think I fully appreciated that until until I got into it. So. Right. I'm, I'm not going to be quite as heavily edited this year, it, but it will still be edited just if to take out the coughing. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And the well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh, so far I'm not recording the video or I'm not publishing the video. It's I'm only publishing the audio, but it's more fun to see somebody when you're talking to them. Yeah, I've had, I agree. I've, I've had a couple people that, that have not wanted to be, uh, didn't want the video on. They just wanted to talk. And we've had some nice, nice chats, you know, but. It's more fun <laughs> if I could see it. You know. No, I, I agree completely. But, you know, people, we all have our different frame of reference and our different perspectives. And I have learned, I mean, I think I've learned through my lifetime, but especially during the pandemic, I can't judge anybody for what their choices are. You know, I mean, unless they're being ridiculous and tell me they want to shoot me because I'm wearing a mask or whatever. You know, I mean, I'm not talking about extremes, sure. but in general, we have our, we, other people don't necessarily know what your health situation is or what your past experience is or what your fears are and why you have those fears. Right. So I just, you know, whatever anybody wants, you know, when I, I had to go to LA, uh, well, I went, I was going to go to LA in May. Clearly that didn't happen because we needed a couple, couple scenes and a lot of voiceover. 
Um, so I, I went in July and I worked with very few people, but I have dear, dear friends, some who wouldn't come and see me at all, you know, and others who said, okay, you know, I'll meet you outside, outdoors at a park. <laughs> but, you know, I never said to the people who didn't want to come, come on, come on, you can come over. You know, it's their business, not mine. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people need to be comfortable. If they're uncomfortable, you're not going to have a good visit anyway. So <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so I know that for me, of course, um, uh, the teaching thing, and I'm still teaching, but everything is online now. Uh, I don't have any in-person lessons anymore. I haven't since March. And, um, uh, but I'm still active teaching and, and enjoy it. Uh, I found, for me, um, trying to take a look at it and say, okay, uh, I can complain about the things that I can't do, but are there opportunities here that I that you know, start looking for the things that I can do that I couldn't otherwise? And I actually came up, I came up with a ukulele uh, uh, method short term for young kids and and uh, uh, just you know playing a few melodies strumming a few chords and singing it's about a two-month program uh, mm -hmm. but we meet for 15 minutes twice a week perfect now you could and for little kids when you're talking you know seven eight year old kid 15 minutes is a long time that's right <laughs> and, but you know you couldn't do it in a brick and mortar operation because there's no way in the world somebody's going to drive there and for 15 for 15 minute lesson twice a week Right. right. If it's online, it's like just walk in the other room and hit the go button. You know, it's and, and so and so that's working. And it's and quite frankly, it's working quite successfully. I'm better than I had hoped, to be honest. And uh, and the kids. Well, you, you have a great attitude. And I think, if you know, if anybody is thinking, well, this isn't going to work and they believe that and the, and the wall comes down, then what happens? Nothing. Right. You know. I mean, I, you have got to get past that. You've got to find that hole in the wall to get through. And then, and then you, find, you find something that works even better or, you know, I mean, is at least as good. But oftentimes mistakes, and I find this even in photography when, I, when I'm making photos and I think I have the most beautiful photo and then I see the so-called mistakes and I go, no, no, that's the art. You know, so, you know me, I, you know, I love imperfection. I, I have no interest in, in perfection in anything. You know, I, art should be quirky. You know, my, my film, you know, I could do a perfectly crafted PBS. Then this happened, then this happened, then this happened and have the perfectly lit, well thought out, rehearsed B-roll of people talking I watch those things. I learned a lot. My film isn't going to be like that at all. <laughs> at all. I take, I take some of my inspiration from Andre Segovia, which um, uh, when, of course, he's been dead since 1987, but, but uh, when he was recording uh, guitar, um, uh, they mic'd it fairly close. His last couple of recordings, he wouldn't even let them use reverb. He didn't, he didn't want anything to interfere with the natural sound of the guitar. When I listen to his, those recordings, and I do periodically, I literally have to listen from the other side of the room because if I'm too close, it's like he's sitting in my lap. It's, there's too much presence, you know? Yeah. But, but um, he would record, he, every song that you ever hear from him, it's always in one take, or it's always a single take. 
he, he, there's no editing whatsoever. And if a little mistake is made, guess what? That's guitar playing. If yeah. a string squeaks, guess what? That's guitar playing. That's, guitar. Now, that's very interesting. If it's a big one, <laughs> a big mistake or a big squeak or something like that, he'll stop, go back to the beginning, and we'll start all over again. again. From the beginning to the end. Right. And so there was never any editing. And people would try to convince him, well, you know, we can edit this and it'll, no. No, no, no. I didn't realize that about him. I like that. I, I can remember, and I, I'm a child of the 60s, and listening to, you know, the Beatles and uh, yeah, all, the, all, all those 60s songs that get played to death now. But a lot of them have been remastered. And so, for instance, in the song Wild Thing, there's a point where there's like a, there's a beat of nothing. And then there's just a little you know, where somebody maybe hit the rim of his drum or whatever. Uh -huh. and, I, and that to me was part of the song. And one time I heard it and there was no, and it was like, no, that's not that song. You know, who fixed that? Who yeah. ruined that? You know? There's a, a, a Mama's a Papa's song. Um, uh, I saw her again, saw her again last night. Yeah. Well, you know, And there's a point about two thirds of the way into the song where there was a bit of a break, and then they and they 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 said the line, and then they, they go, said, "I saw her." I, I saw. I know <laughs> that was a mistake, and it sounds great. It does. and that was and that was exactly what happened. It happened in editing, and uh -huh. and and I read an interview recently with the producer, and and he said happened in editing, and he said he said everybody said, "Oh, let's fix it," and he went, "Leave it." <laughs> he says. It is, and it's perfect. It's so, mm -hmm. you know, it's so amazing. It's a great, it's, it, yeah, it's, sometimes it's, it's better. Just one of the things I used to teach my students was when they were learn when they were uh, playing and trying to be creative, I said, listen to your mistakes. Mm -hmm. Just listen to your mistakes. And they look at me and I said, you know, what you play may not be what you intended. It might be incorrect, but it might be pretty cool in its own way, you know? So, sure. Hey, you know, take a listen. I mean, I've, I've written music around uh, a mistake, that, you know, something I did in a song. And, and, and I go, wow, that's not right. But it's kind of cool sounding, you know. So I kind of make a mental note of that, of that chord yeah. change or those notes and put those over on the shelf, finish doing what I was doing, and then come back to it and start creating something based on that. And I've, I've made money that way. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I feel that way about painting as well. I mean, to, I mean I'm, you know, painting for me is kind of about unexpected things. And I, I don't know, what is the definition of the word mistake? I don't even yeah. know what that means sometimes, you know, right. and, and my favorite paintings that I did, um, you know, are, are quote unquote faulty, you know, <laughs> they have characters. So. Well, yeah. And that's, that's it too. And well, and I mean, and that's, that's the thing. I mean, uh, people have faults and people have character and, and and uh, and so that's the humanity in the art, mm -hmm. uh, you know. It's and so when you gloss it all over and try to make it perfect, it's boring. I I agree. Believe me. So yeah, it's. I mean, there's times when you, I mean, the in music, I know that that, that the um, uh, the prevailing theory is that you want to get most of those mistakes out because it's not just an event now; it's a product, and if it's a bad. You get to a point where that's all anybody hears is the mistake. But, right. but, uh, but I think little ones, I, I, I have always left little mistakes in. I'm not going to go back and redo it or sit there and spend too much time in editing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, it happens. I mean, it's just the nature of playing music. And, right. I, and, it's, and I'm sure it's the nature of 
of photography, filmmaking, uh, you know. Any oh my God, filmmaking is all about mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I was fortunate to work with, you know, Kathy, who had a great spirit. You know, Kathy and I became, uh, you know, when you do a film about somebody, at least in my opinion, when you do it right, you become really bonded and really intimate with that person because you're sharing a relationship they've never had with someone right. who is digging. And then for me, this is new for me, um, you know, the friendship was just golden. And I think Jim and I both were afraid, oh, what if I get kind of sick of him after a while? Or what if he thinks after a while, this sucks. But the same thing has happened with Jim and me in, in intimacy, a bond. Um, kind of a club, very private club, because, you know, he, I cannot ever speak for what Jim's experience is revealing these things about himself. Right. You know, I can speak to my experience listening and learning, um, but they're two really very different, you know, same with Kathy, again, very different approaches, but to have that marriage work, uh, I can't, you know, people say you do, you do a documentary about somebody and you either end up hating them or loving them. And I'm thinking really the worst thing would be if you just didn't care after a while. Yeah, I think so. Because yeah. hate is related to love. So that yeah. means something happened, Yeah, you know, that's got its own story, but to not care. And that probably, certainly I should say, reflects in the product. You will yeah. watch, I have watched documentaries that are very informative and are dull as heck because there's no passion. Right. You know? Right. So I have, um, there was a, um, a couple of uh, filmmakers, um, a couple actually that were living on Mackinac Island and they did an absolutely beautiful film um, uh, called um, The Ice Bridge. And if you ever get a chance to see it um, or, um, uh, or you can, and you can see excerpts of it on YouTube and, yeah. the, and the ice bridge is, is going across the ice from, you know, on Lake Huron, going across yeah. over to St. Ignace from, from, uh, the Island. No, and I'll have to look that up. That sounds really cool. It, it, that particular film is, uh, because Mackinac Island is, is largely a summer destination. The, the right. season there is basically for Memorial weekend to Labor Day weekend this year, notwithstanding. And, and um, so, uh, and, and it's busy as hell. Now, my wife um, uh, was a part owner of and manager of an art gallery slash gift shop on the island. And uh, so what little bit I know about the art business, and trust me, the, the operative word here is little, uh, but, <laughs> but what little bit I know about it, um, uh, uh, it was through her and, and, and her efforts there. And, um, uh, but, but, um, in the winter, when the, when the uh, hotels are closed and most of, almost all of the stores are closed and almost all of the, the people have left, you, you're left with um, about 450 year-round residents. They, there's a, a grocery store. Please tell me there's a grocery store. <laughs> there, is a, there, is a grocery, there is a grocery store there, but it's, yeah. it's, it's like buying your weekly groceries at the 7-Eleven, or at least it was when she was there. It's, it's better now. Uh, okay. but I mean, a gallon of milk would cost you five or six bucks. Yeah. Well, and why yeah. wouldn't it? 
because they have to fly it all over and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, because yeah. even, even the boats aren't running usually, see at that exactly. point. Exactly. So, but there's, it's, it's the time when the people who live there, that's their time to socialize. Most of these people work god awful hours in the summertime. So in the wintertime, they chill, they relax, um, and, and they get involved in the, the, with the things going on at the school and the community stuff and things like that. And it's, it, it just totally changes. A lot of the people up there that live there year round, I mean, it's cold. Boy, howdy, I'm telling you, it gets chilly up there. But, but uh, they- I miss that, by the way, Roger. Do you really? No, it gets cold here. Make no mistake, we have four seasons. But I kind of miss the sub-zero. Okay, now I'm not talking about every day for a month. But, you know, I would be really happy if for two weeks we were locked in, couldn't get out. Ice, no, I mean, I would love that. That's, to me, I, I, when I think about Michigan, and I have to be honest, I don't, I don't really miss it. I don't. I miss my friends. I'm really happy here. But what I do think about sometimes is we, we lived in Okemos, and we had this beautiful big window, uh, both, well, in the front, looking in the front, and we had one looking in the back. And every season was in its glory. So yes. I loved it when it was white and icy. And I loved it when it got green. And I loved it when it was all flowers and lush. And I loved it when it got brown and gold and red. I miss that kind of a framing of every season. I don't think I could live someplace where there are no seasons. But people, people think that Santa Fe is like Phoenix. And it's oh, not. You're up, you're up too high, aren't you? We're 7,000 feet, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it gets chilly, although today it's a little hot, but. Well, it's August, yeah. <laughs> right. Is it? I don't even know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, you know, you seriously, it used to be we didn't know what day it was, and then I went to L.A. for a month and got really screwed up, and now I, I really do have to look at my calendar to kind of fix my, myself and wherever we are. I have because because I'm still teaching. I have daily schedules, so I have to I have to maintain. I'm not nearly. That's as, very healthy. <laughs> I don't know if it is or not. I just don't know any better. But <laughs> now, where where are you right now? Are you in Alma or next to it, St. Louis? Oh, St. Uh, Louis, sure. Okay. Okay. And and um, uh, we bought we bought a house there, um, thirty two almost thirty three years ago, and uh, old uh, Victorian Georgian style house. And, uh, and of course, as you know, it, it burned down um, in November. It was uh, horrible. It, horrible. Sure enough. And, uh, and we're still dealing with it now. We, uh, we're building a new house on the, on, the, on the property, on the site. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, the old house, the old house was a total loss. I mean, so it just totaled in. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. But, but, but uh, uh, we're doing, uh, uh, there's no way in the world we can afford to build that kind of a house. Uh, so we're building... Um, uh, it's it's more of a cottage. It's it's uh, the old house was about 2,400 square feet, mm -hmm. 2,300 square feet thereabouts, mm -hmm. two floor over two floors, and um, uh, the new house is 1,600 square feet on one floor. That's um, a nice size, though, Roger. It is. It is, and then but it has a fully functional basement under it, which the old house didn't have. So, See, that's the thing about Michigan. Your 1,600 square feet does not include the basement. Right. And that just made it 32, didn't it? So. <laughs> <laughs> I know. See, we don't have basements here. Okay. So it's, so that's, so that's, 
and we're we're hoping we're hoping to be in it in uh, uh, late September, early October. And, oh, I hope so before uh, the holidays, and you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but where we're at right now, it's not home, but it's comfortable. It's a four-bedroom townhouse, uh, and we're only a mile from from the house. I mean, we're right here, still in St. Louis. So, mm-hmm. so this is you know, so you know, we'll go over there almost every day and and just check on the progress and see where we're at and. And so, so that's what we do. So, so it was, it, it was sad and, you know, obviously scary as hell. If it had happened in the middle of the night, we would have been, we would have perished. We wouldn't, it, it, it turned out it, it happened on a Saturday evening at seven o'clock. And, uh, and one of our grandkids, uh, he was 12 at the time, happened to notice that we had, a, we had a chair on fire uh, on the front porch. A wicker chair had caught fire and we, We've got some pretty good theories, but we don't know exactly what caused it. And so Barb went running out of the house to kick the chair off of the porch. And by the time she got out there, it was too late. It had already spread. So she hollered at me to dial 911. And uh, literally, I don't know if you saw the video that I posted. I did. It was heart, It was heartbreaking. I, I felt I was brokenhearted for you guys. I, can't, I cannot fathom how that would feel. That that house went up so fast and burned so fast that that uh, literally that film was taken. I mean, that film was taken after we got everybody out of the house, and I I got outside uh, and got the car out of the garage, and 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 right, and then walked around front and took that video, and it was probably less than two minutes from the time my grandson had said we're on fire to the time I took that video. When I left my my uh, my office, my office sat in the front part of the, the house, and I had to go out the office and and down the hallway through the dining room to the kitchen to the back back door to get out. And by the time I got just to the dining room, just the next room over, uh, that room was engulfed, and I had to I had to go dashing through flames and smoke to get out of there. Um, so yeah. You know, and I don't dash the way I used to. <laughs> <laughs> did you dash or did you amble? <laughs> I, I ambled with attitude and bad language. <laughs> I just can't even, I just can't imagine. Honestly, I feel really bad about that. I think about that. And I think as we get older, you know, we, we do have to think about what things matter to us. And yeah. When you're younger, things matter more, and they should. We're nesting, we're accumulating, we're building, we're finding out the things that we're interested in. And I can remember a time when people would say, oh, I, you know, we're just paring down and everything. That is so stupid. More's better. You know, and now it just isn't, you know. Well, <laughs> I, I, you know, I remember seeing many years ago the bumper sticker that says, he who dies with the most toys wins. And, <laughs> it's, and, I, and, and it's really the reverse, isn't it? It is. Well, I mean, it's, it's the whole thing is supposed to be sorry, darling, but, but it's, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's pretty bad. It's pretty, pretty bad. So it's like, gimme, 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 gimme. And it's like, boy, really? You know, uh, who was it? Um, I think it was the comedian Stephen Wright who made the comment one time. You can't have it all. Where would you put it? <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, I know people that find places to put it. You know, there are hoarders, after all. Um, I could not live that way, but you know. But I, but I'm really fortunate. We, you know, we have a beautiful place in Santa Fe. It's 
you know, it's an art community. The, the geology is beautiful. The sky is beautiful. Even, even while we have fires burning right now in various forests, kind of makes for a nice sunset. (laughs) (laughs) I know they're having fires in Northern California too. Oh yeah. uh, So it's just, well, you guys get them out there. I mean, it's just, you know, it's up and down California, I know. And, and occasionally uh, in the Pacific Northwest, but, but, uh, but you guys get them out in your area too, don't you quite a bit? Oh yeah. All the time. And, and you can smell it. You wake up and it's like, who, who has a campfire? I mean, and, and it affects your, you know, I, I, could, I have not had an asthma attack in a long time, but I have had asthma and I take medication for it. But if I were just out hiking, you know, I could easily, easily have an asthma attack from the smoke. You know, it's unfortunate. Yeah, it, it, it is. So I but hope. Summer, okay. it's hot. The fort, you know. I don't, I don't know. I don't understand it all. And then there are controlled burns as well. Oh, sure. Um, so it's a summer, summer's a busy time. So I, I, I didn't, uh, I, I had a conversation with, uh, and with a guy named Ken Cook, who's, uh, almost like a counterpart to me, to me is, uh, and he's in Adelaide, South Australia. And, um, uh, and we talked a little bit about the fires that they went through a year ago. Oh God, that's right. And and he said that the fires were within five miles of his place, and uh, and I got you know and you just you know just want to you know just choke up and die basically you know just like holy mackerel it's just such a scary 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 thing so so yeah so and we, you know, a couple of years ago we saw the fires and I don't know why they never actually come into town I mean I'm speaking very ignorantly here but they they to my knowledge they never have. You know, and yet they say, oh, my God, they're coming, you know, but then they don't. So I, I don't know what happens. Maybe they, but it was a little odd to see, you know, it coming and getting closer. It's like, oh, my God, what, you know, and, and in California, people do have to leave their homes. Yeah. You know, what do you grab? They must have to think about this. You grab your pets, you grab your medications, your would- computer. Yeah, I would, and I would think maybe maybe most people would have some sort of a go bag, just to grab. Yeah. Oh yeah, they do. Yep. You know, I just I um, uh, was talking to a friend in um, in Okemos, um after our house burned, and and he said that um, the house that they live in is an older farmhouse, and uh, that they had redone, and he said that the. Um, uh, he told the kids when the, his kids were, were little, he had them each take, a, gave them each a backpack. And he said, put the things that are most important to you in this backpack. And he right. said, and then he said, if we have to get out of here, and he says, I'm not going to tell you twice. He says, I'm going to tell you, we have to leave now. He says, you grab that backpack and you, and you bring it, we'll throw it out the window yep. and, you, and you'll have that stuff. Yep. And, and, uh, and I thought, wow, that's, I'm not that much of a forward thinker. I'm just, I'm one of those guys that thinks it'll never happen to me, you know? Right. Well, but yeah. And you know, you don't live in a place where um, you have that a a yearly, you know, monthly or whatever. I mean, we have, we had tornadoes. I, I, Oh, when I was in LA this past time, I had my first, and now I feel it. Okay. My first earthquake. That's an experience, isn't it? 
You know what? It was like having my first martini. I feel like I can cry <laughs> now. I am an adult. I've had a martini and I've had an earthquake. What more do I need in life? <laughs> it was great. I you know, it was bad enough where I really felt it, but not so bad that I was alarmed um, and not so wimpy that I thought, oh, come on. You know. <laughs> when I was in Tokyo, I went through two minor earthquakes and, and one typhoon. Oh, wow. Yep. Yep, I'll take Michigan. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'd want a typhoon, and I certainly wouldn't want a tsunami. No, no. Well, the typhoon uh, was, it, it, I learned a couple of things. Number one, you couldn't drive, and the reason you couldn't drive is because you couldn't see. Your windshield, right. wipe, your windshield wipers just would not keep your windows clean enough, fast enough. So you been like that in Michigan a few times, Roger. Yeah, but I mean, it does, <laughs> not, for, not for three days straight. Not yeah. for three days, right? <laughs> so, and, and the other thing, the other thing, I mean, you get these really, you know, pretty, pretty pushy winds, and this wasn't a real severe one. I mean, you know, they, there are there are those out there that were far worse than the one that I went through. Um, but but uh, the thing that I learned um, is that typhoons apparently have a sense of humor um, because uh, yes. Because you're you're walking down the street and you got you know 80 mile an hour winds at your back, so you're kind of leaning back a little bit, you know, to keep you know, and you and and you're walking down the street, and then all of a sudden, just because it's feeling cute, it'll stop <laughs> blowing for a minute, <laughs> and you fall on your butt, and then it kicks up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, was, oh, that mother nature. <laughs> What what a kidder! <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Too funny. Oh God. But, yeah. So, but earthquakes. I remember the first one I went through. Um, uh, I was sitting there with a couple of friends, and all of a sudden, I'm I'm watching a beer bottle dance across the floor, and I had this, or across the table, and I and I had this sensation in the pit of my stomach that felt like uh, stage fright. And I'm like, God, I'm sitting here having a beer with friends, why am I getting this nervous, peculiar feeling? Well, what it was, it was the earthquake. Yeah. You know, and I look over and I'm, and I'm seeing <laughs> seeing a couple of these empty beer bottles dancing towards the edge of the table. I'm watching this, you know, with my, my puny little Michigan brain going, hmm, what's going on over here? Yeah, right. And one of the other guys went, it's an earthquake. And I went, oh. <laughs> well, and they do, you know, and they're very different in different times for different people. I mean, I, I understand that sometimes when they roll, all of a sudden you feel like you're car sick or, or mo you have motion sickness. Oh. And, um, the first the first one I felt in the middle of the night that woke me up was one that went like, you know, up and down. Oh. I, and I woke up in the middle of it and thought something had fallen on my bed. Like I, I in my head, okay, now remember it's the middle of the night. And I remember thinking a raccoon fell from the ceiling and I was afraid, you know, I was really afraid to look over and of course it's empty. And then I'm shaking the bed thinking there's an animal underneath that's gonna scurry, nothing happened. You know, and then about 15 minutes later, there was a, and it was like, yeah, yes. <laughs> but it was too early for a martini, so I couldn't have that. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny well i tell you what i haven't had a martini in an awful long time and um when, when i was when i was in 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 uh, in the air force and i and i flew home uh, for my grandfather's funeral and when i was flying back 
flying standby and I got stranded at, in San Francisco for about three days, two and a half, three days, and waiting for a, a military plane. And, and, and I ended up uh, meeting and hanging out with this uh, army major who was, we were all stranded. And, and you never knew when they were going to start calling out names. So you couldn't leave the airport. So we couldn't go any place to sleep. You had to sleep in the airport, you know, because if they called your name and you weren't there, you went to the bottom of the list. Yeah. So, you know, so, yeah, right. So anyway, so, well, this guy was as close to a Hawkeye Pierce as you'll ever meet. And, and he, I, honest to God, I think we went two days and the only solid food we saw was the olive at the bottom of that glass. <laughs> and man, I'm telling you what, I drank a lot of gin. <laughs> and you were done and, and that 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 cured you or <laughs> not not necessarily it, it's it's sort of like you know i i drink another one right now if somebody if somebody wanted to pour one uh but right. uh but yeah it's but it it was one of those too much work to make i'm sorry it's too much work to make i want someone to give me one yeah i don't want to yeah. have to think yeah <laughs> It's, it's like a science project. You got to have exactly. of this and one part of that. And you got to shake and you got to, you know, and, and I'm more, I work that hard. You know, I'm, more, I'm more of a whiskey and water guy, you know, so uh, throw a little whiskey in the bottom of the glass, splash of water, leave me alone. You know, these, these you know, other are too fancy. That reminds me of my brother, Dick, who is now deceased and he was a whiskey guy and he was a maker's mark guy. And I was never a whiskey person, but whenever I was with him, he'd have his shot. And um, he died, you know, a few years ago. And um, I decided I needed to buy a bottle of Maker's Mark and honor his his death. And Dick had gone out of town, so actually, I had to, I went to Dick's funeral. My husband Dick could not make it. I come home, and by the time I got home, my husband Dick was gone in a gig. So I'm alone, and that's why I said, "Get me some Maker's Mark." And I sat down. And I poured myself a shot and I'm, you know, I, I don't know, the, I was even crying at that point. I was kind of celebrating his life and talking to myself or to him. And I started to drink it. It was like, what the hell is this? And what am I going to do with the rest of the bottle? You know? <laughs> so every so often I do drink a shot in his honor because I still have the bottle. And I still don't like it. So there you go. <laughs> that well, was, he was happy. Put it with a little, little vermouth and start drinking Manhattans. There you go. And so. Is that what it is? If I put some, now dry or sweet vermouth? I don't know. You'll have to look that part I up. think it's sweet for, for a Manhattan. I think you are. You're right. Yeah. Well, Marcin or Cherry, you know, and you're, you're good to go. So. They're the worst thing in the world for you. And I love them. Yeah, <laughs> so I got to I got to tell you that that I had no idea in all these years that I knew you, I had no idea that that you were related to Dick. Oh, and 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 um, uh, and you know, being from this area originally, you know, Dick Fabian was kind of a legend around here. Yeah, <laughs> it's a legend, all right. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, right up to, right up to the end. I mean, he was still doing commercials and things like that, and just. Yeah, yeah, he got older and then he did commercials for like hearing aids. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but he still worked. He was such a good guy. And, you know, he was 18 or 19 years older than I. So I didn't grow up with him. We didn't have that bond. Uh -huh. But 
as adults, we became really good friends and um, we adored each other. And, I, you know, that meant a lot to me. I didn't, I don't, you know, I have seven other brothers and sisters, well, three only that are living now, but, you know, I didn't have that relationship with all of them. Uh-huh. He was, he was special. He was a well, special I just, guy. I just, of course, I didn't know him. I never met the man, uh, but I, I only knew him through his work, but I, I liked the work that he did. I, there was just, he was very charismatic and, um, very much so. And so had a great voice, a great delivery. He always seemed at ease. No one could fluster him and believe me, they would try. Uh, he, he, he really, I, I don't know where he got it, but he was, he was great. I think of him when I feel really rattled and incompetent, you know, I try to try to, uh, you know, conjure up my brother's strength. So I, as I recall, I, I'm trying to think, but when I was a kid growing up, he was on the radio a lot, right? Oh yeah. That's how he started. He was a hot shot DJ. Yeah. Yeah. And a bit of a stinker too, wasn't it? As I recall on the, on the air. I, oh my god yes he was yeah 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 now i was too young to know some of the stinker things he did but i do have a story that's pretty cool um he uh he and huh, i wish i knew the other disc jockey's name i think his first name is bob but they would do what was called sock hops remember sock hops absolutely so they would, you know, have a have a space like the better, you know, veterans or whatever, uh, and they would have at the time up and coming acts like Sonny and Cher, Simon and Garfunkel, yeah. you know, Glenn Campbell, people that were in their prime yet, um, and that is where they would get their breaks, you know, because it was a very popular place. So anyway, he had Simon and Garfunkel, and uh, and the kids liked him, and they're all dancing, and then there was a break. And Dick was in the little kitchen area and Paul Simon came in and said to my brother, okay, uh, where are we again? And, uh-huh. my, and my brother said, Saginaw, Saginaw, Michigan, use it in a song. Gotcha. Paul wrote down Saginaw, Michigan. And then we had, it took me three days to hitchhike from Saginaw. <laughs> so every time I hear that song, it's just, Warms, warms my cockles. That's, there you go. <laughs> I, in, in, in Elma growing up, the, there, was a, a, there was a DJ out of Flint, and I forget his name now, uh, but he used to come up and, and do a Saturday night dance. Uh, and, he'd, and, and it was the same kind of situation, and he would bring in these different artists. A lot of really great Michigan bands uh, that, went, that went on. I mean, there were so many. I mean, Oh, Michigan was a... Gold mine of great bands, huh? God, yes, God, yes. And so, so I mean, I remember seeing Terry Knight in the pack. So I became Grand Funk. Uh, and then uh, Dick Wagner and the Boss Men. Of course, Dick Wagner as a guitar player. I ended up working with everybody from Seeger to Alice Cooper to God knows who else. Tim Curry, yeah. yeah. And he was good friends with my brother Dick. And when my brother Dick retired from TV, Dick Wagner wrote a song for Dick Fabian called From a Dick to a Dick. <laughs> and it's very, very funny. Uh, Dick Wagner is dead now. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, I, and and I, I, I knew him, or I, I met him a couple of times when he'd come to Alma with his band, but I never never knew him as a musician. I just knew him as a fan and right. as a high school kid. But, um, uh, but uh, I, I do remember um, uh, getting to the dance early one night, uh, um, and the guy who ran the place, uh, asked me if I would help the band unload. He said, the band, the band is here. And he says, and he said, um, and he said, 
they had just gotten in from, from Charlevoix. They played an afternoon show in Charlevoix and they had just gotten there and they were unloading their gear and would I help them? And I said, yeah, sure. And I went out and there was this old like 56 Pontiac hearse right there, which is how these guys traveled, right? Right. Well, turned out to be Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs. <laughs> oh my God, I loved that band. <laughs> right? And Wooly Bully and all that kind of stuff. And so anyway, the, the, the keyboard at the time that they were traveling with was a big Hammond B3 organ. You know, and I mean, this is a, this is a piece of furniture. I mean, this is a big beast, you know. And so anyway, they had, already, they had already loaded or unloaded and loaded it once that day. And now they got to unload it and load it again, right? And the guy's really whining. Do we really need this thing in this show? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, so Sam the Sham, and I don't know what his real name is. But he, he turned to me and he says, he says, what do you think? Do we need this? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I said, but I'll help you carry it. So he said, okay. Uh, and then he looked at his friend and he said, I'll tell you what, we'll use it tonight. And he says, when we get off the road, when we get back, he says, I'll buy you a Farfisa, which was <laughs> right, the little portable organs that they were using back then. So he said, okay. You know, and so that was the conversation. And about two weeks later, they were on um, Dick Clark's show, and uh, where the action is, or something like that. And uh, by golly, he was there with that far piece of box. Far piece of, right. <laughs> well, I was going to see the batter box. Yeah, because, well, far, you know, far piece was the big, that was the sound, man. That was you know, if yeah. you think '96 tears, that was the sound. That that was that 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 cheesy cheesy sound. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but uh, I'll tell you what, a lot of people played it. I mean, you you watch uh, the Dave Clark Five, you know, and and uh, Michael Clark is playing that thing all the way through all of those all of those shows, you know, things like that. So yeah, I want to thank Jane for taking the time to hang out online and catching up. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you would like to see some of Jane's work, I urge you to visit her website. The link is in the description. And I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope you come back soon to Creative Conversations with Roger Humphrey.